So it was a declining business. But of course, as value investors, you always think there's potential for recovery and core value. And this was a, a company with 800 stores, 27,000 employees. So it was a big, big business that had been around for 100 years and uh, no sign of it actually going completely out of business anytime soon. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with Colin McLean, who will be telling us about his worst investment ever. Colin, welcome to the show. Hey, hi, Andrew. Glad to have you. So let's get started. I'll give a little background. Colin McLean is founder and CEO of SVM Asset Management, an independent Edinburgh-based fund management group specializing in UK, European, and global equities. We were just talking about those going up and down recently. Colin is a regular member of CFA Institute and was elected to the Board of Governors in 2012. He's a fellow of CFA UK, a chartered fellow of CISI, and a fellow of the Institute and Faculty of Actuaries. Colin is also honorary professor at Harriet Watt University, lecturing in behavioral finance, and is also a guest lecturer at several other universities. He's a regular contributor to financial media, and he's a conference speaker on investment, hedge funds, and behavioral finance. Colin, take a minute, fill in any gaps to that intro, and tell us something about your personal life. I'm happy to do that. I enjoy being based in Edinburgh. It's a financial center that's not too big, so it's very easy to get out of the center and uh, cycle, uh, walk the hills. Uh, so it's, it's the right size of place for me. And uh, apart from uh, that and my work, I also do some work with other not-for-profit. Yeah, well, I can say that I remember the first time I landed in Edinburgh and I was, uh, it was very early in the morning and I got up and I walked around the town and I can say uh, it is one city that just knocked me out when I went there. So I was just really love the city. I haven't been there for probably eight years now, but I just, just love being there. It's a nice place to work. My office uh, faces the castle, so uh, it's uh, quite quite a dis distinct uh, outlook uh, compared with some of the bigger financial centers. And, and since I live in Thailand for the last 26 years, I can say, I'll rephrase that, it's a nice place to visit in the summertime. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so now, before sharing your story, to set the stage, can you describe the type of investment you're going to tell us about, the circumstances leading up to it, and what happened? Uh, the stock I'm going to talk about is a UK stock, Woolworth, but it's a, a company that was, as a retailer, spun out of a US business. It was quite a, a large, large mid-cap business, capitalized close to a couple of billion dollars at its peak. And we bought it a, as a value investment. So we, we uh, relied quite a lot on value credentials at that time, and, and I'm talking the earlier part of this century, 2004, four, five, and uh, we, we bought into this stock, which looked on a lot of metrics very cheap. So uh, not, not long after we bought it, the price started to slide, and some of the information from the company was uh, a lot less encouraging. But there were all sorts of contrary signals going on. The management talked a, a good story. Some of the bigger investors came in and bought stakes. The management tried to innovate out of where they were, tried to restructure. They launched a big out-of-town stores, a large format types. 
moved also into some other different offerings within the high street as well. But its core areas, uh, music, low-priced clothing, confectionery, home goods, were gradually being competed away by supermarkets. They spent too long on the high street. So, and they also lost out as a lot of physical music sales, CDs, etc. Just, just disappeared. So it was a declining business. But of course, as value investors, you always think there's potential for recovery and core value. And this was a, a company with 800 stores, 27,000 employees. So it was a big, big business that had been around for 100 years and uh, no sign of it actually going completely out of business anytime soon. And uh, as I say, we were value investors, so it felt like the sort of thing that we should be buying. But as the, the warnings came out, I guess I, I got a bit more concerned earlier than colleagues. The prices from 60 pence here down towards 50. And uh, by that stage, we had the second warning. And of course, many investors now recognize that companies with profit warnings they come in three or more that uh, rarely do you get all the information out, first of all. So when we got warnings initially, there, there were good stories about how management was addressing the problems. And it did look like there was underlying cash flow. As it happened for the company, it didn't cut its dividend until two months before it finally went under. And uh, that, that was in uh, late 2008. Fortunately, we did manage to exit our positions about just under two years before that, and in fact went went short in some funds, uh, recovering a bit of money. It finally ended up down at, at one pence. Uh, and our exits were uh, somewhere in the uh, upper 30s of pence and, and, and 40. So it was something that probably about halved for us, which doesn't make, us, make it the worst investment I've ever had. But it was one I, I felt that uh, we should have been more alert to the issues earlier on and should probably have realized that even good management can't necessarily buck a trend in a declining industry. And uh, from that, we have moved on to quite a number of retail shorts uh, in the UK in particular. But as more businesses moved online, this did provide a model for us to realize that despite what management say often these businesses cannot easily turn around. They, they suffer a legacy of lease costs, of physical property, uh, of culture, and uh, they're very difficult to transition into a newer or partly online business. Mm -hmm. In fact, as it, as it happened, the brand name was sold on to an online business uh, afterwards and lasted about six years before that folded as well. So a, a legacy for 100 years, a quite a substantial company with a huge presence in the UK, which did outlast its parent US business, that business did eventually go and proved incapable of being turned around. And I guess we followed the management story for I, you know, about half of the latter declining period. Uh, we followed this for two or three years before we realized that management really had no better insight into the underlying issues than we did. And of course, in, in these sort of situations, you don't often get the truth because short sellers rarely give the, the negative view, they don't have much incentive to speak publicly. Mm -hmm. So you're left with quite a lot of favorable information. So that's a great story. And if you were to sum it up for the listeners, but what did you learn from this experience? Well, I, I think it's very important in owning a stock, not only to have a view of your own analysis, 
but to try to understand where the consensus is, where the market is, because you need in making a decision to differ from the consensus, consensus is priced in. So you have to think a lot about what's priced in. You have to see how that's moving. And you do, if it does look as if a there's a disconnect between your own analysis and what's happening with a share price, you know, what's happening with results. I think you have to try and gather that contrary view and sometimes get it you know, into your own mindset, into the team. So you have to look much harder for what the negative view is. And the other thing I think I've, I've learned is probably cutting the position almost automatically, not, not necessarily on the, on the first warning, but if things persistently move against your analysis and, and you're surprised, taking a third off a position is not a difficult thing to do. You can easily convince yourself the remaining two-thirds, if you're right, ultimately, the remaining two-thirds will more than recover your money. And uh, But you're actually one step towards reducing the emotional impact of this on you. So uh, act much more when I see that it looks like I might be wrong. Take a step back from the stock, maybe keep two-thirds before I cut another third, try and gather more information independently. Good follow-up question, I think, for the listener is that when you're a value investor, you're naturally in a state of anti-consensus, you know, where you are willing to say, yeah, I know everybody doesn't like it, but I'm willing to get into this because I'm a value investor. And it's, it's even harder in that case to, to take on that, the information as opposed to, let's say, a growth investor is like, if I don't get that company doesn't deliver 20% growth, I'm out. So how do you, how do you reconcile that? How, how does a value investor somehow be willing to handle all the negative that they may be getting and sort out what negative is really very real. I think you've hit on the core of the, the question that as value investors, you, you do have some conceit that you can bet against the, the prevailing winds, bet against consensus. So there's a, a higher tolerance for things maybe not going right in the initial stages. You don't really expect to get your timings spot on. Mm. So that you're, you're exactly right. I, I think getting the right debate in the team, and in this particular case, it did cause stress in the team. Some, some parts were much deeper value in outlook, much more tolerant of this. And of course, their inclination was even to buy more as it, as it went down. And so it caused much more debate. And it's important to get some facts into this and to try and bring some more realism and bring some more challenge and fact into the team's analysis and, and to start agreeing on a, a basis for exiting. But even without that, I think cutting a position a bit as it starts to go wrong is the right thing to do. Mm. And searching externally for exactly what that contrary view is. I think is also important. Okay, great. So let me summarize what I take away from that story and tell me if I've missed anything. I think a few points that, that I take away from it is that nothing is sacred in investing. 100-year-old companies can go bust. So always keep that in mind that you nothing is sacred in investing. That would be my first takeaway from it. The second takeaway is a harder one, and that is trying to make money in a declining industry is damn hard. But this wasn't, in some ways, you could argue this was a declining segment in an industry where it wasn't like people stopped shopping for these things. They just went to supermarket and they went to online. And so identifying segments within industry is something that I think from a research perspective, 
can potentially prevent you from getting overly optimistic or overly pessimistic about a general industry like retailers, as an example. So that would be my second point that I take away. And then I think that the point that, that you made that it's really, to me, I never really thought of this when I was younger, but the willingness to immediately take a portion of the position off if the share price falls. Because part of what I say nowadays is that it doesn't mean that I was wrong in my analysis. It just means it was possibly the wrong time. And a stock that I liked at 100, I may, it goes down to 80, I may get out of it. And then I may say, well, now it's down to 70. Maybe I shouldn't have bought it at 100. I should have bought it at 70. Nothing wrong with taking some money off and then reconsidering it. And then the, the last thing that I would say that I took away, and my years were as a broker meeting with fund managers, really the, the most interesting meetings were the ones where they were taking the opposite view of what I had and they were just milking me for what, why did I have such a negative or a positive view? And they were building a counter narrative. And I thought that was a very healthy thing as you said, uh, you know, the debate that goes on, but even maybe even formalizing like that, if we're going to take a strong positive view on a stock, we want to find the analyst or the person, or we want to assign someone within the company that's going to say, let's this person take the negative. And so those are the four things that I took away. Would you add anything to that? I think they're very good points, uh, Andrew, and not only understanding the consensus, which is what's priced in, but that counter-narrative really bringing that challenge in, looking at uh, what could go wrong uh, and looking for the signs that that might in fact be what's playing out, that counter-narrative. Yep. So try and find a way of seeing what supports the counter-narrative as you go along. Yep, you've got it. Okay, so now let, let's get close to wrapping up, but I want to go into my section I call actionable advice. So based on this case and your experience since, what one specific action can you recommend to our listeners to help them to protect their investments? I think it's quite important to have some rules, in this case, cutting size, uh, some processes, uh, and bringing in some, some contrary views, some challenge, some external uh, information. So I think you need to have a, a way of dealing with that emotion. It's particularly challenging as value investors, you think that, taking some loss, betting against the crowd is what you're meant to be doing. So you do need to find a way of trying to get yourself out of a difficult position, even when you get quite emotionally attached. <laughs> and tools like resizing the position, bringing in alternative views, those matter. Fantastic. Well, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk. Visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Colin, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. You have any parting words for the audience? I, I hope that uh, no one lets losses discourage them from investment, get the sizing right, learn from each, record what happens, but uh, losses are there to uh, learn from. Great. Well, there you go, fellow risk takers. Another great story to help you create, grow, and protect your wealth. I'll see you on the upside.